G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. Is it possible that we could position ourselves so that God would do in the 21st century what He did in the first century? Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. Thanks for joining us again on Today with Jeff Vines. Today, we're going all in with our commitment. Pastor Jeff is preaching from Acts chapter 2, where we see a community of believers who rely on each other and support each other with their belongings, their food and their time. Let's get into the message now on Today with Jeff Vines. Uh, Turn over to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and I want you to stand. Here we go. We're going to read this passage together. And uh, I would tell you to read in your Bible, but there's so many different translations in this group, it'll sound like we're speaking in tongues. So let's not do that. Let's go up on the screen. NASB is recorded for you on the count of three. We're all going to read this passage together. One, two, three. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Okay, you can be seated. When I took the job as the senior pastor, I had one dream, one goal, one objective, one passion that would override everything else. That passion and that dream has become the dream and passion of the management team, those five managers that oversee the work of ministry day by day in our church. That one primary vision and objective and passion has become uh, the passion and objective of many of you in the church. I can tell that by your response and the way you respond to certain messages. I believe that a great defense could be made that it is God's vision for every church. What is it? Let me put it uh, in the phrase of a question. Is it possible that we could position ourselves so that God would do in the 21st century what he did in the first century? Is that possible? That we could position ourselves, that God would do in the 21st century what he did in the first century? 
that he would form a community of people that would be totally committed to him, that would pursue Christ's likeness in every area of their lives, that it would be a group of people that would reach out to their friends naturally and winsomely, that they would be more than willing to walk across the room because they know that eternity is at stake for everybody around them. Would it be possible that this same group of people would possess such a powerful faith that they would actually believe that God would do signs and wonders and the miraculous in their church and among their people? And that this whole group would be so singularly driven toward the expansion of God's kingdom that they would live totally and wholly for another world that they would see this as just passing through, then that they would take everything that they have, their resources, their gifts, their talents, their abilities, and they would pour it in to the kingdom of God that it might grow in the area to which they've been called. Is that possible? Think about it. Imagine if the 21st century experienced what the first century experienced with people gathering together like this in corporate worship, but also in smaller groups doing life together, realizing that they just can't make it in a tough world without each other. And that they would really begin to understand what worship really is. The total yielding of oneself and one's resources over to God and his purposes in the world. So that they would be pursuing Christ's likeness that everyone would be discovering their spiritual gift and get out of the stands onto the playing field. And they would go way past tithing into the New Testament form of giving, which is reaping and sowing. That the more you sow, the more you reap. And because they are so driven to reap, they sow generously. And they give with a cheerful heart. Now, are we making any progress? You bet your life we are. 362 new people said, you know what, Pastor Jeff, I'm all in. I'm going to find me a life group and I'm going to do life together and I'm going to be challenged and I'm going to challenge. I'm going to be held accountable and I'm going to hold somebody else accountable. I'm going to drop anchor, settle down. I'm all in. 90 people since the first of the year, this is just this year alone, have said, you know what, I'm going to walk across the room and I'm going to bring my unchurched friend and I'm going to trust that God will move. God did move and 90 people have found Jesus for the first time this year alone. Kaleidoscope program. By the way, 500 volunteers, 500 served a meal to 500 people last Thanksgiving and we're hoping to double that this year. Because of your generosity and your kindness and because many of you just flat out get it that the only way to the heart of somebody through the gospel is through meeting their needs and attacking head-on social injustices that are all around us. The Kaleidoscope program. We decided we're going to get into the schools and stop expecting people to come to us. We're going to go to them. And we're going to love on their children. We're going to help them. And waiting for me on my desk when I got back on Friday from Zimbabwe were these letters from principals in this valley writing a letter of gratitude, and here's just one. We're so grateful for the wonderful backpacks filled with school supplies that CCV donated to our school. It's a joy for us to be able to give these backpacks out to our kids to see their smiling, happy faces when they get a backpack when they don't have one. We always have a handful of kids whose parents can't afford this in a tough economy. When we give them the backpack, it's so wonderful to see our students smile with joy and excitement. Our parents are so grateful. And it goes on and on by middle school principals and high schools. 
because you are loving people. Because there's so many of you who've dropped anchor and you get it that the way for the gospel to progress is to love people who are hurting. Now, you might say at this point, wait a minute, Jeff, I, I thought this was going to be about your trip to Africa. Well, it is. It is. And every time I go, I come back just inspired, jet lag or not, running on adrenaline. I feel challenged. I feel ashamed. I'll get to that in a moment. And I just get fired up because when you go to Rwanda and Zimbabwe, guess what you get a glimpse of? You get to see what the first century church was really like. And it compels you. And you're embarrassed because of, I'm embarrassed because of, of my shallowness and the things that worry me that shouldn't. And I see my fellow pastors out on the battle lines, man, giving everything. And I get depressed when I get a bad email. <laughs> Notice what the Bible said. It said in Acts 2, they were together. Does that mean that they, got, they had their act together? No. The New Testament was written because they don't have their act together. The Bible is a, a book about people who messed up so that you and I will be encouraged. But they were together in their vision. Everything, man, about them, their passion, their resources, all went to, there was no doubt where their affections lay. They wanted more than anything else in their lives to be part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ and to play a role in expanding it. I met Pius when I was in Rwanda. My friend, he's on the far right in this uh, slide, he and his wife. And Pius told me the rest of the story when the genocide broke out and a million Tutsis killed by the extreme Hutus, which represented most of the Hutus in the country. Pius is Hutu. So he took his wife and children and ran to the swamps to try to hide. For, imagine three months living in the swamps. Because if you come out, you'll be macheted. And you try to eat what you can. I mean, from berries to bark, whatever. But because he did that, the extreme Hutus found the rest of his extended family, brothers, sisters, and killed them all. He escaped with his wife and his kids. When the genocide was over, he was still alive. And you know what he decided that God wanted him to do? Was to go into the prisons to the Hutus who committed genocide and preach to them the gospel of reconciliation. So he assembled a band of brothers and sisters whose lives are still on the line, by the way, because there are ext still extreme Hutus who would like to kill him because they're still mad at him because he didn't join in. There are still prisoners in these prisons that they just think to themselves, when we get out, we're gonna finish what we started. Pius was a prominent businessman before the genocide. And afterwards, it's hard for him to exist, to live. He lives on so little because there are still Hutus out there that make sure they block any progress. And there are still people who wanna kill him and his team for going into the prisons and preaching the gospel of reconciliation. And you know what Pius told me? He said, if I am to die for the cause of Christ, I'll die. And later on at dinner, after one of the sessions, he told me, Jeff, we're still, there is still tension in our country. You don't read about it, you don't hear it, but it's still there. But he said, my group of men and women are willing to do what God asks us to do, no matter what it requires. And they live on so little, folks. They don't have very much. And everything they have, their goal is whatever we do have, we gather it all together and we give it for the cause of Christ. Man, I sat there and I talked to those guys and I thought, you, th you talk about a pastor being ashamed. It's hard. I'm not like that. I have to have my round of golf each week. 
I got to have my cup of coffee in the mornings. You know, got to have my protein shake. These guys, they don't even think in those terms, man. All they think about is, how can I position myself so that God would do in the 21st century what he did in the first century? And God seems to be doing it. Notice, they not only were together, but they latched on to the apostles' doctrine. You know what that doctrine is, right? Grace. That's the primary doctrine of the Bible. And let me tell you, just in case you were afraid, I wasn't going to tell you what happened in the prison. Here it comes. Man, no matter how much I try to explain this to you, it won't be enough. It, it won't be enough and it won't do justice. I had my wife with me on this trip and I was very grateful. Usually I, I travel and she stays, but she went with me. So I had her to comfort me. You see, there I go again. <laughs> but she couldn't go into the prison with me. And so Anastas and I went on ahead. We parked down where we were going to have the conference with the Rwandan pastors and their wives. And we started to walk up the prison because you can't have a car anywhere near the prison door, prison wall. We began to walk up the hill. As we're walking up the hill, there is a large crowd of people gathered outside the prison. It's the community. Not all of them, but a couple hundred of them. I said, Anastas, what's going on? He says, they have heard that the tall American preacher is back. <laughs> and I said, well, how'd they hear? Oh, word gets around. <laughs> and they have come to hear the sermon. I said, but they're, they're not in the prison though. They, the warden has given them permission to come in and listen. So I'm marching up the hill. I think, great, man, talk about pressure because that's how we think. And so I go through the crowd and they're all watching. Who's this, you know, who's this tall American? I go into the gate. I have to meet the warden before I go and speak. It's just, it's just the way you do things. And as soon as I went into the warden's office with Anastas, my translator, I immediately got depressed because my faith is weak. I mean, God has orchestrated so much already. You would think I would have the faith to say, well, this is all part of God's plan. No, something bad goes wrong. Well, that's it. Because I didn't recognize the warden. He was new. And I liked the warden last year. And I knew he wanted me there. And I'm thinking to myself, this guy probably doesn't even want me here. He's just tolerating because I've been given clearance. So he's sizing me up, asking me some questions. And he says, Pastor Jeff, our prisoners need to know that God has not given up on them. Can you do that? And I've given up. I gave up last year of trying to write any sermon before I got to the prison because every time I do, I end up throwing it away. So I thought this time, God, I'm just going to get some thoughts in my head, but I want you to tell me what I'm going to do. So I, by the way, I'm not saying it's bad to prepare. I think the spirit can work in preparation as much as delivery, but in this prison, it's just unique. I can't explain it. Ask me about it later when I have more time. And so I go in, the warden escorts me with Anastas, translator up to the front. You can feel it already. I mean, guys, I, I, I wish we could all take a mission trip to Rwanda next year together. I wish you could all go and see this. They came out, a little African band comes out and starts dancing and singing a song before I speak. I don't understand the word because it's in Kenyan Rwandan, the local language. So I look over to Anastas and I say, what are they saying? He says, well, they're singing a song that they've written just for you. And the name of the song, he said, was if it were not for you, we would have died. And he said, but it has a dual purpose. They're saying that if you had not come, Pastor Jeff, and told us about the gospel of reconciliation, maybe we would be dead. But if it wasn't for God, ultimately, the God who loves us, we would not be alive. So already the mood is set. 
and I stand up to preach. And I don't know why it is, but God always gives me a story or something right at the right time. So I told them my favorite story about the Indian guy who had the two statues on his mantle. Remember, simple humor in Africa is very powerful. And I said, I started telling them the story through the translator, you know, the two statues and this father kneels down every evening and offers offerings of grain and fruit and prays for guidance and wisdom and power. And this little boy comes in and says, father, why do you do that? These statues are lifeless. They're powerless. They can't give you any power, any life. They can't guide or direct or lead you. And the father gets angry at the boy. Remember, kicks him out of the house. That's blasphemy. You'll bring a curse on our house. Get out. And then the father goes away on holiday. The little boy comes in while the father's away and takes a stick and smashes one of the idols, puts the stick in the other idol's hands. <laughs> now you think it's funny to you. You think it's, but in African culture, that's hilarious. <laughs> and the father comes back home and he says, who has done this? Has brought curse to our house. Look at what has happened. The little boy comes in. Well, father, isn't it obvious? The one statue was jealous of the other statue and smashed him. Look, the stick is in his hand. And the father says, that's ridiculous. These statues are lifeless and powerless. They can't do anything. And the little boy says, that's what I've been trying to tell you. And the place erupts. Why would I tell that story? Because I wanted to remind them that the God of the Bible is a relational God, a God of relationship. And the Bible says that he loves you and he will never leave you or forsake you. And no matter how deep your sin, if you turn to him, he will forgive you. And the place just went crazy. Just tears coming down. And I knew, hey, I'm at the end of this message. They're where they need to be. And then Anastas leans over to me and he says, Pastor Jeff, they're waiting. Waiting for what? For you to tell the candy and marble story. <laughs> but Anastas, I told that last year. Yeah, and they all heard they want to hear it again. And immediately I thought, if only the people of Christ Church of the Valley <laughs> were as spiritually mature as to want my stories the same ones over and over. <laughs> And some of you are saying, would it matter if we wanted it? You do it anyway. And though, there you go. And so I told the candy and marble story. I got to the end. I don't think I need to remind you of that story. I got to the end. Then I, the punchline, remember, if you give God all your sin, he will give you all his forgiveness. And as soon as I said that and Anastas continued to pray, they started coming. 100, 200, 300, 400, over 500. And just started pouring around the sides. And it was hot in the, oh, it was hot that day. And the pastors start doing their work. As soon as it's over and as soon as these people are coming. And remember, yeah, 500, but there's still thousands who haven't. So the warden did what the last warden did immediately after the message. And I still haven't figured out why they do this completely. Because I didn't sense I was in any danger. But he comes and grabs me by the arm, takes me to the prison wall, marches me out immediately. And I guess there are still some people that aren't happy with the gospel of reconciliation and want to finish the job. And he marched me out the prison gate. The gate closed behind me. And I'm telling you, the look on people's faces of repentance. When you're in ministry long enough, you recognize when it's real. You do. There's a difference between repenting and being sorry that you got caught. And over time, you began to see the distinction. And the repentance is happening. The warden marches me out. You're going to, this is all, he grabs me by the arm. He says, Pastor, Pastor Jeff, I have a favor to ask you. Okay. He says, when you come back next year and you are coming back, <laughs> you're not going to preach at this prison again. I said, why? Because I felt like I'd invested in it. He said, because this prison will not be here. It is moving. And I want to take and show you where it's moving. And I want you to commit that you'll come back and preach next year 
when many new prisoners are there. I said, okay. He said, but I want you to make another commitment. I said, oh boy, this is, this is getting interesting. He said, I want you to come with me because I later learned that this warden was over all the wardens. He was the top warden now. And he said, I have, I would like you to make a commitment to come and preach at the prison in Kilgali. I said, oh, I preached in that prison already. That was the first one. He goes, no, 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 no. I said, no, I have. Anastas, I have, haven't I? And Anastas is just, you can tell Anastas has respect for this guy. This guy says, no, you haven't preached in this prison. I thought, well, what, what, what prison is that? He said, there is a prison in Kilgali. You've been preaching to those who orchestrated and committed the genocide out in the rural areas, but they were working for some other people. There is a prison in Kilgali with only 400 plus prisoners, and those are the government officials responsible for the genocide. They are not repentant. I want you to come and preach to them. He said, in order to do that, you'll have to have a cup of tea with President Kagami, and he will give you clearance. If you commit to me now that you will come back and preach in this prison, then I will commit to you that I will get you that meeting with President Kugami. So folks, I'm going to leave you again next year. And don't complain. <laughs> because God continues to open doors, and I'm not sure what's going to happen when I get to sit across the table from the president of Rwanda. Pius, who's in charge of the prayer breakfast that had 30,000 people at it this year, a prayer breakfast with 30,000 people. It had to be held in a stadium. He said, Pastor Jeff, I want you to come back next year. I want you to speak at the prayer breakfast. Whew. The doors just keep opening. But the reason I tell you all that is to tell you this. When I'm in that prison, I feel so alive. I just feel like that my whole life was for this moment. I feel like the Spirit of God is on me in a way that He's not on me in any other place. And the way I feel when I'm in there is like, my goodness, it's like God's, it's so heavy. It's kind of like, if you don't do it, it can't be done. Maybe that's the problem. And I want you to know that that anointing that comes on me in that prison is the same one God wants to give to every single one of you. You know that, don't you? But you've got to find your place of risk. What is it that he's asking you to do? You say, I don't feel God like that. Let me tell you why. Because you're not on the front line of battle. That kind of sensing of the presence of God only happens when you risk it all. And you're all in. Then you will feel God. That's all we have time for today. We'll come back next time to hear the rest of this message. Pastor Jeff is studying Acts chapter 2 to help us go all in to find deeper connection with God. Do you want to feel God like that? Then you've got to be all in. Everything like they're in. Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.